Hi, William Sheriff here, Executive Chairman of Encore Energy Corp., America's clean energy company. Uh, we're devoted 100% to in situ your recovery of uranium in the United States, which is the world's largest consumer of uranium for the generation of electrical power. Bill, good to see you, and thanks for joining us, especially on what's going to be a busy day for you, I suspect, uh, telling people about the latest transaction. When he gives the highlights. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having us. And yeah, I suspect it will be rather busy. Uh, we uh, had, had worked, uh, oh gosh, probably the better part of a year on getting uh, the deal with the Alta Mesa joint venture with uh, Boss Energy, certainly over six months. And uh, it all came about uh, just uh, back uh, about 13 months ago, we picked up the Alta Mesa project uh, from Energy Fuels. And uh, that, uh, just to refresh people's minds, was a $120 million purchase price. Uh, and half of that was in debt, half of it was in cash. Um, we'd worked that debt down to $20 million, uh, uh, through through our ATM program at a premium price to the conversion on the note. So we issued far less shares. Uh, and uh, shortly after the transaction, we were uh, uh, contacted by Boss looking for some sort of an arrangement. Uh, and not necessarily on that asset, uh, but just contacted and doing business. So we kicked the tires, went back and forth for a while, uh, obviously not uh, in a heated discussion, but uh, the pace picked up uh, throughout the summer. And uh, there were a number of various uh, formats or, or ideas kicked around that we just, uh, quite frankly, weren't weren't interested in. We, as I say, were quite quite focused on what we're doing and have have a really solid pathway uh, built out in front of us. And so we uh, we ended up in the format of a joint venture on Alta Mesa, which uh, intrigued them, of course, because of its size and uh, being in a stable jurisdiction. Uh, certainly intrigued us because uh, it provided us the cash to be able to uh, move forward on a number of fronts. Uh, prior to that time, uh, as you're probably aware, we'd been living hand to mouth. That is a very linear track, getting just enough money to do the next project and move on, which uh, when you have a portfolio of uh, production projects such as we do, that's certainly not the most uh, optimal, uh, optimal route to go, especially given the uranium market that we're in and that we see coming. So uh, we, we kicked the ball back and forth, 50-50, you know, whatever. And at the end of the day, we were a bit of an impasse, and we went back, uh, both sides scratched their head. We decided we needed $70 million, that number being the one that we'd actually calculated. It wasn't a random number. Uh, we, we actually calculated that as being what we need to take our portfolio of projects and move them ahead in parallel as opposed to in, in single file. And... Uh, it uh, does give away 30% of uh, the Alta Mesa uh, production, uh, but in exchange for that, it really accelerates our, our uh, build-out on the pounds and, and in terms of the production. And uh, we view it as a as similar or akin to an M&A transaction, and we've been very clear on M&A that any M&A we do will be uh, uh, you know, quite, uh, quite constructive and accretive in terms of either pounds produced or the timing in which those pounds are produced. And this clearly uh, enabled the uh, the time factor to, to advance significantly without really diminishing uh, anything that we're going to see out of Alta Mesa this year or, or next, really. Uh, just because it's once, it, once your plant's built, it's really a function of drill rigs and getting your plumbing installed until you max out that capacity. So uh, by having extra money, we get extra drill rigs, uh, can afford extra uh, plant, well, not plant, but equipment, and bring in more well fields sooner and uh, max out that, that production capacity sooner by virtue of having that cash. So uh, real, real benefit to us. It, it, it was really interesting to me because when you picked that up from uh, Energy Fuels, 120 bucks, 120 million bucks, as you said, um, 
it kind of felt like it was stretching you guys a bit. It was quite, it was quite a quite punchy um, price line. But the deal that you've just done, obviously, you're bringing seventy million bucks into uh, the company to allow you to do what you want to do. So you you've shown that there's I guess generated some value there. You could argue because you're only giving away seven thirty uh, percent of the of the Alta Mesa uh, property. Yeah, oh, that's right. I mean, uh, you know, the valuation uh, based upon uh, you know half a year's time passing, or even a year if you want to go to closing, uh, increased the value of that thirty percent by uh, well over seventy percent. And uh, so, you know, to be able to do that on a capital asset in, in twelve months is is pretty phenomenal. I think. And right, I, and the other part of the deal, which you've not talked about um, yet, is obviously the loan of um, two hundred thousand pounds. Now, that's physical uranium we're talking about, or is that balance sheet uranium? And, and what's it for? No, it's physical. Uh, uh, Boss Energy had uh, maintained an uh, inventory, uh, obviously at the uh, converter, not in their backyard necessarily, um, and uh, so that was book transferred, or will will be able to be book transferred uh, over to us when at our election. Uh, and that essentially is to give us uh, the ability. You know, with our production, we, uh, you know, certainly can can meet our targets this year. But having that flexibility of the extra two hundred thousand pounds, as you're more than aware, the uh, the bus or sorry, the spot price is quite volatile, and uh, we would really like the flexibility to be able to take take advantage of short term run ups in that. Um, and here again, we also have the ability to repay that in kind. So. Our production uh, is not 100% sold forward in, into these contracts, so we have the ability to enter into novel agreements such as this to to allow us uh, a bit of flexibility early. That flexibility in our in our production will, will come a bit later, um, you know. But during ramp up, you need every pound you can get, and uh, so this is uh, it was just an added feature, if you will, of the of the transaction uh, one that we desired just to give us that flexibility and one that they were in a unique position or a virtually unique position to be able to provide. So, so I, see, that's the bit that interests me. You, you said it was like, you know, it almost sounds like an afterthought, but it, I think it's a bit more than that. Because you talk about flexibility and optionality for you with £200,000. Um, there's a 9% coupon attached to that, right? So there's a, there's, but there is that, and it's repayable within 12 months. So that, that's kind of the, the broad structure of the deal. What does this? What does that allow you to do? Is it about having conversations with utilities and say, "Well, actually, we've got something in the bank here." So it on, well, certainly on the book books at the moment. Um, if you want to, but you won't necessarily take physical control and sell that physical unless there's spikes in the market. I mean, so are you playing the market, or are you trying to get enable you to kind of get better deals on contracts? Well, it's it's all it's both all of the above and one more. Uh, the, 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 the one more aspect is oftentimes you have very good relationships with your counterparty. Uh, you know, there's only so many people in the room in terms of buying and selling uranium. And uh, oftentimes, if you're in a position to be able to help them out on the short term, uh, here again, not by discounting the price or anything like that, but quite frankly, right now, it's just simply difficult to find uranium. And uh, so if you have some and you can ease their pain a bit uh, on the immediate front, then oftentimes you can, can see that uh, gratitude expressed in, in the, in the out terms or in a better contract. Or, uh, you know, it's just good business to help out your counterparties when you can. Uh, when, right. When they're over a barrel. I mean, you know, everyone, everyone looks at, oh, this is really great. I've you know, got the utility over the barrel here. There's no supply. I've got a little bit in the and, and supply here, I can, you know, really get the best price out of them. But, you know, that's a pretty short-sighted vision. 
they're going to be your same customers you're going to have for the next 20 years. So uh, prob- probably a better approach is to uh, try and keep both sides happy and try and work to help one another when you can. Um, yeah, there are a number of uh, various scenarios that might happen to any producer such that they have a shortfall and they have deliveries they have to make. It might nice, might, might be nice to have that goodwill stocked up somewhere down the road as well. So it's right. uh, it's a number of factors, but uh, you know clearly we were incentivized by the number in, in terms of the current spot price, and uh, you know having that flexibility to to capitalize on uh, what's a, a very profitable number for us, uh, right? You know at, at time that's a fixed amount belt, right? That that's that's not a case of a drawdown. That's a, that the, the book transfer will happen. You'll have two hundred thousand pounds, twenty million bucks worth of of physical uranium, which you'll be paying nine percent on from day one I assume there's some deferment unless you're going to go and raise some capital on on that payment is it back-ended or no but you know with uh, over 70 million in the bank and uh, a few other irons in the fire we're not uh, not too worried about that you know we we are zero debt uh, we have been for uh, probably a month now um, and that uh, last bit of uh, debt that was outstanding was converted into uh, shares of the company so uh, you know we're we're easily able to handle a nine percent on a on a twenty million dollar fee, and the twenty million dollars, while it'll be carried as an indebtedness, you know, obviously intends to be repaid out of production. Right. Okay. So you've explained what it does for you in terms of freeing up your balance sheet, tidying up your balance sheet, and and giving you the capital you need to kind of move forward on on a number of fronts. And you know, and you know, one of your big goals is hit three million pounds of of production. Let's let's just kind of remind people of that. In terms of Alta Mesa, it, it, it sort of has produced an, an average from 2005 2013 of you know 0.57 uh, million pounds. It has done as high as a million pounds, and your license for 1.5 million pounds. So that's an integral part of what you're doing going forward. So how, how else do you deliver against that three million target? What else is going on out there? First off, it's it's uh, never really had the heat to the fire, if you will. Uh, you know, it's never run at full capacity. The other, the other issue is that it has a two million pound uh, total license capacity when you include the dryer at the back end of the plant. So gotcha. it's an ideal situation to uh, augment that uh, million and a half pounds out of the existing well fields and out of future well fields on site, plus another half a million out of satellite uh, deliveries from uh, from remote locations. And by remote, you know, we can easily haul uh, uh, satellite feed, uh, you know, a couple hundred miles under current prices, three, four hundred, even five hundred. Not that we would want to. There's uh, abundance of opportunities within a couple hundred miles of the plant. So uh, obviously satellite feed, uh, but the emphasis there at Alta Mesa is going to be getting up to that one and a half million pounds, you know, of homegrown material, if you will, that's right on site. And uh, here again, that's uh, that's a significant portion of what the boss money is going to be doing. And in order to do that, it's not like we need to go out and find more uranium. We, we know where the uranium is. We have it. We have a resource of uranium. It's simply a matter of getting enough drill rigs. And drill rigs right now is, is a very tight uh, commodity. And uh, it's, it's uh, actually, it's, that's not true. I misspoke. Finding drill rigs is quite easy. Uh, most of them are stacked up in the driller's yards with no one to run them. And uh, finding someone that wants to work on a drill rig and have a, a quality skilled group that's safely operating on a drill rig is, is what's in short supply. And uh, these aren't fancy rigs. These are water well rigs, conventional run-of-the-mill watery rigs. We aren't talking core or reverse circulation or anything of the kind. Uh, but nonetheless, there's a, uh, a lack of the, a tightness in supply. 
And uh, we, we would love to be able to double or even conceivably triple the number of drill rigs that we have on site now. And that is the key to maximizing out the production and then taking advantage of that full plant capacity is the number of holes you drill. And uh, then after that, it's surface plumbing, essentially. Right. Okay. But I want to come on to that because I, what I meant to ask you is about um, just some boss energy, right? So boss energy have taken the opportunity not only to do, do this deal with you, which kind of gives them a nice geographic picture that they've, they've, they've painted, you know, Western Australia and obviously now in the US uh, of A, but they've taken the opportunity to go and raise an extra 10 or 15 million bucks off the back of it. They're, they're a $2 billion Aussie company and you're, you know, essentially $1 billion dollar uh, company yourself um you know it's, it's not quite of equals but it's obviously done a lot for them I and mean, what what did you think that they were going to get out of it did they did they get more out of it than um they thought they would do you think it was it was a fair deal across the board you know you i view think it? when you evaluate these deals i think you really have to um walk away a perfect deal is when both parties think well, i could have done just a little bit better at the end of the day um no one truly has 100% inside of the other party's total package of objectives. Um, and, you know, I go back to when we first bought Alta Mesa. We were roundly criticized for having paid an extremely high dollar price for it and way too much. Yet, you know, half a dozen months later, 70% premium on it, or 12 months later, over a 70% premium on the valuation metric. Looks like we did a pretty good deal. Um, so, you know, I... I Far, I, I spend all of my time worrying about what's good for Encore and what's good for Encore shareholders. And I never have been one of those that worried too much about, well, the other guy that they got too much or, or boy, we really got them. Uh, I, I never even view a transaction that way. It's it's entirely what's going to benefit Encore and Encore shareholders. You know, if the other party prospers from it, that's great. Uh, they have different objectives than we do. And, uh, you know, fair enough. But the, the main thing is, is that uh, we need to achieve our objectives. And I would say at this point, it's pretty clear our objectives and our evaluation metrics on Alta Mesa have been, uh, have exceeded our expectations. So, you know, we're, we're quite pleased and to, to have built off of that first transaction by even owning, uh, you know, slightly less, even though we do get a management fee, which makes it a bit, uh, a bit more effective than 70% on the bottom line. Uh, but nonetheless, that has given us power to move our entire portfolio not just that one project, which we would have been working on by itself for, you know, for, for some time to come. That, or we would have had to go back to the equity markets to raise additional capital. And as you have already mentioned, you know, we, we were quite busy uh, in the markets last year uh, raising the money to pay for Alta Mesa. So well, let's, let's just take a look. Uh, you said this conversation started six, six to 12 months ago in, in various shapes or forms or, and, and seriousness, et cetera. But here we are, the deal's closed. Um, it's a very different market now. It's a very, very different market now. Where I think the bid is somewhere between ninety six and ninety eight at, at the moment. So it's been a hot, been over over a hundred bucks, and it's sort of still hot. We've had a kind of re, a brief pause, is where I'm going to call. And I'm, I'm sure you'll tell me how you view these things as well. But I'm interested in the the phrase which Boss used in their PowerPoint, which is about a strategic relationship being formed. In a market like this, how do you see the production side of things meeting demand? How do you see the North American or the the Western supply side of that equation um, panning out? Because it feels like all we seem to see on social media is 
lots of exploration stories. The excitement and I'm sure the buildup of the number of exploration stories that will be hitting our, uh, the supermarket shelves soon uh, is extraordinary. But how do you see this thing playing out? Well, I think, you know, especially after having been through the 04 to 08 uh, little mini boom, um, you know, everybody and their dog wants to be a producer, but the reality of it is, you know, there's enough uranium for everyone to be a producer, but there certainly are. That's the smallest of the hurdles to become a producer. Um, you know, I would I would be highly skeptical over the next decade if we see more than eight or nine uh, new producers in the world, much less in the United States. Uh, it's, it's just timing doesn't allow for permitting timing, uh, bringing along uh, the talent to to actually operate and, and uh, successfully extract and market uranium, uh, you know it's it's not quite the same game as copper or gold. So uh, you know I'd be highly I would be highly surprised. And uh, obviously your margins are better when you're a bigger company. You have more plants, more security of supply, higher contract uh, dollars issued by your customers because you're a more secure, more senior, more dependable producer. Uh, so all of these things come into come into play there. So I, I think that's where you'll see us going. Uh, you know, in terms of the pricing, geez, that's too bad we're in the 90s. You know, I mean, we were elated when we were in the 60s. I mean, come on. Um, would we like to see 200? Well, sure we would, you know. And and will we someday? Yeah, probably so. I'm not sure what, what the other prices of inflation will be at the time. But uh, clearly, that we're in a, you know, if you just look at it from a market perspective, we're in a correction and, and probably a much overdue correction, if that. Um, you know, and finally, the uh, the price had actually turned into the hockey stick move, where it wasn't going up nice and orderly; it was going up, you know, astronomically on a daily basis on virtually no volume, uh, which was not a healthy market condition. We we needed to cool off, otherwise you risk, uh, you know, the balloon that goes up and up and up until it bursts, and uh, that's certainly not healthy for the market either. So, I think we've seen a very very positive correction in in the equities, uh, and you know. As is almost always the case in a, in a relatively tight supply of companies or investment vehicles, uh, such that we have in uranium, certainly in terms of viable ones, um, you know the, the moves both up and down are exaggerated when compared to the uh, commodity price. So, uh, you know, we're we're quite happy with the market. We think it's a healthy market. We think it's a healthy reaction. Uh, we're very early on in the nuclear cycle. I mean, you know, this is not a flash in the pan. This isn't, a, uh, you know. You're in it for a year or two. Uh, it's it's obviously considerably longer than even the last one in people's memory, which may be the only one in most people's memory, the 04 to 08 uh, time frame. Uh, but, you know, we've got decades ahead of us. So, uh, I, I always like to draw a kin to this is, so, uh, you know, people say, what, what inning are we in? And I still tell them, really, in terms of the big picture, we're in the first inning still. Uh, you know, you could argue that with this correction, it's the end of the first, we're going into the second. Uh, irrelevant. It's an extremely long opportunity, and uh, I view it much akin to if someone were to proposition someone with an oil and gas opportunity in the 40s or 50s. Uh, not every year is up. Some years are horrendous. Uh, but by and large, it's been an incredibly uh, dynamic growth story and well above most any other growth story during that time frame. And uh, so I think that's something new to the resource investor that they haven't seen the dawning of a new era like that in a long time, uh, maybe in, in their lifetime. And uh, to, to be at the forefront of that is, is truly exciting. And it's something that's going to, you know, the biggest rewards will be, you know, reaped by those that have the longest uh, time horizon and the greatest amount of patience. I mean, you can trade this if you want to, but it's, it's pretty, it's, uh, it's not for the faint of heart trading the uranium market. Well, I, I think most people would argue with you. It's, it's not so easy doing any trading at the moment. Um, 
it seems you know, uranium's been on a, a, a you know bleeding from the front as it were, and one of the very few things that people put their hands in their pockets for. So, um, and, and a long way that continue. Um, just want to come back to a phrase which I which I pulled out of the you know the the, the boss um, presentation, which was this strategic partnership phrase, right? But you obviously done one deal now with them, um, and it's attractive in the sense that you're both builders and producers in terms of the team's experience and background. Um, that that's that's quite exciting. Um, so me as an investor, I've got I've got to take a view in terms of my portfolio. How much uranium do you want, and then what what sort of blend of production development and um, exploration do I want in there? Again, I guess it's around that kind of supply component. It's like how many new producers? There weren't that many last time around the last cycle before it all kind of the lights went out in in, in two thousand eleven. Um, how many new producers do you think there are likely? How many are needed? Quite frankly, well, like I said, I think I think you see maybe a room for eight or nine globally uh, in the U.S. You may see more than uh, two for a while, but through consolidation, I think uh, two is about the number in the U.S. Um, you know, Canada may be very similar to that number, uh, maybe, maybe three. I don't know, but uh, you know, you are you are going to see uh, them opening up like uh, you know, mom and pop stores on the corner or Starbucks. It's it's not a franchise opportunity. It's uh, it's a niche in the business, quite frankly, and uh, so so with that, you're going to see a, a much more moderate growth. And when someone's uh, if there is the one off with substantial uh, production, I think you're going to see, you know, I think the phrase to rule the next decade in this business is eat or be eaten. It's uh, really comes down to that. I mean, there there's uh, certainly economies of, of size and uh, economies of operations, and I think you're going to see those. Okay. Okay. Well, let's let's see how that plays out over the next few um, weeks and months. And so, it's a long way to go um, in, in this. Can we just come back? So, I, I kind of you just start talking about it, and I can remember it. I'd, I'd forgotten something. Um, let's let's talk about the the rest of the portfolio and how you kind of bring that together. Now you've got the capital, now you've got the market behind you, and now you're meaningfully advanced in the sense that there's not a lot of competition in in, in that space in terms of that development moving into production this year. Um, how how are you prioritizing what you look at and where you allocate this capital and then what that does for the business? Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, you know, maybe be more meaningful than going through each project. And in our in our slide deck, there's yeah. a chart that shows the the accretive nature of what we'll be able to do in terms of production timelines with this influx of cash. Uh, and it's uh, uh, you, know, you mentioned the strategic relationship and, and all that. We've done one transaction, but uh, it's always nice to have a friend in the business. So. You know, it's uh, especially when they're, you know, a big capable friend that uh, we like the way they do business. So, uh, you know, there's nothing else on the drawing board, but uh, it's, you know, obviously we have a, a good relationship to, to lean on. But in terms of uh, Encore's immediate production projects, you know, we've been talking about Rosita as being a, a satellite plant uh, with, you know, only moderate or, or even modest uh, resources actually at the plant. In fact, the, the plant, the product we're running through now is a, you know, a mile distant from the plant, but we're running it as a satellite just because of logistics on roads. Uh, it was cheaper to do it that way than it was to uh, direct pipelines in, an, in a non-direct route. Uh, so uh, when, once you look at that satellite well field development, uh, which is what will fill Rosita, uh, prior to this deal, we were going to have to take one of our projects, which was Upper Spring Creek, and there's two parts to that, but only one part and move it forward. That would have brought us some production in uh, hopefully late 25. 
uh, maybe early 26, but about that time frame. Now, with the extra cash, we're able to concentrate on both halves of Upper Spring Creek, move both of them ahead in parallel, such that at that same timing, we're getting production out of two of them, roughly, maybe three or four months apart, but it won't be having to start work on something for a year and a half or two years, get it going, and then start the next one working on it for a year and a half or two years to get it going. can work on them in tandem. And that, that is the, the real leverage factor of, of bringing in that cash, is that it won't make us do things one at a time. It will allow us to pr- proceed on many of these satellite fields simultaneously or in tandem, such that uh, we can ramp up that production uh, considerably quicker at Rosita. And at the same time, we'll be looking at satellite opportunities to, to, to feed Delta Mesa, as well as I mentioned, they've got a half a million pound a year capacity for, for satellite feed, in addition to their primary uh, one and a half million pound feed. And the other idea that, uh, or the other place that I can illustrate very quickly and, and tangibly the difference is the Dewey Burdock Project in South Dakota. It lies five miles approximately, it's right up against the border of Wyoming. Uh, the roll fronts there, uh, that are mapped and known. Uh, if you travel uh, to the northwest out of there, west and the northwest, those very same roll fronts that uh, have the uh, you know, 17 million pounds uh, Dewey Burdock. I uh, have another uh, deposit called Dewey Terrace that we own. It's a much smaller million, two million pound type thing. Uh, don't think, uh, don't, wouldn't even quote a 43-101 on it. Uh, call that a geologic resource. Um, but there's been virtually nothing done in between for for. I don't even know how long, maybe a decade or more. Um, so we're, we're able now to go in and we had planned to put a few holes in, and by a few, I mean a few, uh, in the inner, in the inner speening space there to uh, try and tie those together. Now we're going at it with a full-fledged program, and uh, we'll be uh, drilling you know, hundreds of holes there. And uh, with that and tying those two together, we, we think, you know, given the old rule of thumb that you're going to have a half a million to a million pounds of uh, uranium per mile of roll front, we're quite optimistic that we can see the global Dewey project, not just Dewey Burdock and not just Dewey Terrace, combined into one, uh, which we look at as the Dewey project, straddling the state line, uh, which will give us more robust economics. It also gives us a bit of a playing card in terms of uh, which side of the border do you really want to build your plant on? Uh, obviously, there's huge permitting differences between the Wyoming side and the South Dakota side. And when it comes down to the state, because we are virtually through with the NRC permitting on the South Dakota side, but when it comes down to the actual state regulation and ruling on that, uh, which you don't deal with the feds in Wyoming, but on, on South Dakota, you certainly do. But when it comes down to the state, you, you do have a bit of a bargaining uh, chip in terms of where would you like that tax base? Would you like it on the left side of the border or on the right side of the border? And uh, you know, it, it may not be the be-all, end-all, but it's certainly a, an advantage for us in that regard. So uh, that's a project that we'll you'll see uh, significant gains moving forward as a result of this uh, as a result of this funding. Can you talk to me about taxes for a little bit? Because obviously, I think your your kind of your, your flagship projects are, are, are that the ability to do business in terms of licensing and permitting, etc., et and how it enables you compared to maybe some of the other states? I mean, you're in, what, four, five other states? Um, what, what's Texas like? Texas is, uh, there's. it's not by mistake that we're there, and it's not by mistake that our first three years of production to meet our three-year per year, per, three million per annum run rate is focused entirely in Texas. Um, you know, I mean, it's obviously a very red state. It's obviously a very pro-energy state, and it's uh, very much kind of an independent mind of its own sometimes. Um 
But that being said, you don't cut corners. You're just all about business. And uh, the regulators there, they don't uh, over-regulate. They, they regulate the right amount. They, like I said, everything's done by the book. Uh, there, there are no shortcuts. But there is an incentive on both sides to get to the same goal, which is not usually the case in a permitting regime. Permitting regimes are almost always us versus them. And they shouldn't be because you're trying for a common good. And in Texas, that's realized. And so the regulators work hand in hand with the proponent and to get to that final goal. I mean, we were 20 months total from when we filed our amendment, which was a major amendment that planned it last operated in 2008, I believe. Uh, so it was a major amendment after a major overhaul of the planet. And it was 20 months from when we put that permit in until the day we were producing. And uh, I, I defy any other uh, jurisdiction. I, I, I challenge any other jurisdiction out there to try and match those timelines. It's what it should have been. I mean, it was a very methodical, straightforward, and you know, I commend the regulators. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, put us through the ringer that we should have been put through to get where we were going. But it wasn't any wasted time on anyone's part, and it was a collaborative group effort to get to the goal line. And it's a whole lot, whole lot better than an adversarial relationship. Quite frankly, we expect uh, a very similar environment in Wyoming. Uh, you know, they aren't nearly as well staffed, being a much smaller state, but but nonetheless, uh, we expect very similar results there. And those are the two states that are the premier ISR uh, locales. And and just for that fact is they're permitting. They're both agreement states, which means you don't deal directly with the federal government. And uh, that that's a huge advantage. And there are other agreement states, but they don't typically have ISR uh, amenable deposits. Essentially, if I look at people like um, like Kamiko, they're sitting on a quite a few ISR assets in Wyoming. I mean, I, I guess a little bit tied up at the moment, possibly a a, a bond, quite a lot of bonds on bonds, that. So yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. So it, it, I'm just what I'm what I'm trying to work out is you, something you you said at the beginning of this thing. There's lots of uranium, but not everyone's going to be able to get and produce uranium. Um, so that means that people who can the track record experience, the team, the balance sheet, quite frankly, and the, I guess, current ability to get into production are going to, maybe, maybe this, do you think there's going to be more roll-ups, more M&A across the board? That, that, that's your, what I sense from you today. Yeah, no, I think I think that's going to happen. I mean, you're obviously going to get more and more companies coming into the arena as well on, on the you know exploration side, uh, what have you. Um and, you know, some of the very big holders that have been in the business forever, they may try and sell their assets like Chemico's package was on the block for, for quite some time. And, uh, you know, they, they uh, once once we crossed $75, it was pulled off the block immediately, um, which, you know, is a, is a significant price in their in their business plan from what they've said publicly. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, but you, but you also see other of the big holders that will from time to time have a say on asset sale. And those those might bring a new company out of the woodwork that uh, comes in and leapfrogs into a position of a potential buyer. Uh, I think more likely it's one of the existing companies that uh, stretches a bit to, to take one of these on. Um, but you'll, you're, you're definitely going to see, I think, at the end of the day, uh, fewer, fewer producers, not necessarily right now, but you're going to see um, a relatively small number of the existing equities. I mean, I don't know what, we're, what 150 equities now, something like that. Um, it's hard to keep track of in the uranium field. 
Uh, of those, you know, I, like I said, I think you'll see, you know, 10 at the most, eight or nine new producers around the world. And uh, for any given moment, you may see it go to 12 or something, but I, I think you'll see a continual evolution of buying out the companies that are small, new, new French companies uh, to, uh, to where you'll end up with, you know, that eight or nine when you look down the road here, probably in a decade or something. Yeah. And, 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 and again, I'm, so I'm plugging into your North American um, access and experience here is like, if I look at a lot of the, the narrative and the commentary of the U.S. government has been very, very positive and supportive for the last, I'd say, two and a half, three years, right? Um, you know, a few senators getting behind this thing and recognizing the, the you know, during COVID that we, we, we suddenly hit this kind of energy crisis of ours, of our, of our own making it, obviously. But not a lot of money, a bit of money, but not a lot of money. So the markets are going to sort itself out and prices, price and, and, and shortage um, of of uh, physical uranium has, has uh, kind of solved that. Was that. Was that always going to be the case? Or did you expect the U.S. government to sort of come charging up on a white horse and, and, and solve it for you? Well, I think the problem really is in the fuel cycle, not so much in the uh, uranium feed. I think the industry itself doesn't really need much help from uh, – from the government or anybody else in terms of producing yellow cake. I mean, don't get us wrong. We, we applied and we're actually the highest successful bidder in a Dutch auction to the DOE last year. Uh, so will we will we sell to the government? Will we take advantage of that? Sure. Do we need it? No, I don't think it's an, an integral need. It's, it's, a, it's a nice thing to have. But uh, I tell you where we really need it, though, is in the conversion and enrichment. Um, you know, that is not a cheap game to get into on either hand. And yet, that's where the bottleneck remains. That's where Russia is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. And uh, here again, as you pointed out, we allowed that to happen. Uh, we were self-sufficient, and uh, we've you know offshored ourselves into uh, almost total reliance upon foreign powers for that. So that's where you're going to need to see the billions and billions of dollars coming in. Um, sure, we hope they buy. It. I mean, it, it also makes logical sense that the country has a stockpile if something as critical as uranium. Uh, we did for many, many decades. Uh, last time during the 04 to 08 timeframe, they were selling that off to monetize it because who needed it anymore? Russia's our buddy. Um, and so they sold off 8 million pounds a year, which helped keep the price down, which didn't help spur new production, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, then a number of other historical events came along to, to really you know, squelch it for the better part of a decade. Um, but I think you're, you're going to see a pretty fertile time here. As long as, uh, you know, clearly some of those endeavors are, I won't say they're beyond the realm of, of public finance or, you know, private equity financing, but it certainly will go a lot quicker with public uh, support. And here again, public permitting support. Um, you know, most um, everything here has to be permitted. And if the NRC is not on side and if uh, the federal government's not pushing it, it's just more delays. Uh, and I'm not talking about in the uranium industry. I'm talking about further downstream in the fuel cycle. Um, but you know, so far they've certainly been saying the right things. We've been seeing some significant cash go into that. Uh, so I'm optimistic that that will go. Uh, nonetheless, it's going to remain a bottleneck for you know a number of years at, at best. Yeah, it's going to it's going to take not only a lot of money, but it's going to take a lot of time to to get back in control. And I think that's I say should should never have been allowed to happen in the first place. But th there we are. Um, just and I'm sure we're going to have a great discussion about that one, but. Just to finish off on, um, in terms of where the market is going, what do I as investor 
look for and 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 look at. I think that that's of interest to me. So I, there's a few questions that have been thrown at us, and you know, one of those is about obviously with uranium at you know heading towards you know the high the highs of 2010. Um, do you groups like Sput, Yellow Cake start dumping into the market? Or do you feel that, like you, they believe that the urine price has got a long way to run and therefore will be holding on to their stock? Well, there's certainly a few that have uh, uranium for sale at, at a certain price. Uh, there are a few hedge funds and that sort of thing. You know, Sprout's a bit unique in that it doesn't really have a disposal method. It simply acquires. And uh, they proposed a uh, uh, you know, redemption factor for, for material in kind, which was a very interesting program. And I quite frankly wish they'd gone through with it, would have seen their shareholder list um, full of your uh, nuclear utilities, I think, is uh, you know, is a bit of a hedge against the source of last resort, uh, which I thought was quite clever. But uh, for whatever reason, they backed off of that. And as far as I know, they still have no means of disposition of their uranium. And so taking them aside is a bit of a unique case. There are several much smaller versions of, of Sprout out there that Quite frankly, aren't even necessarily advertising bearing the uranium, uh, you know. But private uh, hedge funds, uh, you know, it, it takes some effort to become licensed to hold it in inventory. Um, but nonetheless, we saw that before in the 04 to 08. Uh, in fact, much of the material that traded hands above hundred dollars was uh, hedge fund material. Will it will it cause uh, you know quote the end of the day? Because I, I do agree that once one or two of them start dumping into into the spot market which they probably will because they aren't players in the contract market, although they could evolve to that. That would be healthy. Uh, but if they uh, hit the spot market and it's uh, not a charging, raging bull at the right time with uh, the actual users needing a lot of it that particular month or two when they hit the spot market, you know, you could easily see a 20% correction in the spot market. It'll last about 15 seconds, so don't, don't try and plan on getting in there. Um, but you know, it'll rebound as quickly as it falls. But during that, you know, momentary panic to get out the door with some of the hedge funds, you could see a you could see a pretty sharp correction, and of course the equities will overreact and everybody will panic and oh, this is the end of it and no more, no more. Uh, and like I say, by about the it's a perfect whipsaw is the word you used earlier. I think it'd be the perfect opportunity for that in the market where the, they shake the tree and get uh, the really last guys hanging on to give up and flee, and then it's over with before you know it. Off we go again on the upside. So my, my advice to the uranium investor is, is uh, you know, make sure you're buckled in and uh, prepare for a long ride. It's it's going to be, a, I think, a very pleasant, buoyant experience by and large. And they'll probably try and scare the hell out of you a few times along the way. Yeah. And, and I, th- I guess there's a few ways to play, play it. You're very keen to clearly get into production. You you, you made all the moves about the past, you know, three years to ensure that you were in position to get into production. There are other development companies who, I don't know, perhaps aren't rushing to do that. And maybe they're looking at the market a different way from you, or maybe their business model is is different from you. It doesn't mean, I, I, I'm trying to work out who's right or if there is a right or a wrong in terms of the um, those sort of two opposing strategies. History will tell us. It's an easy question, <laughs> easy question to answer in a rearview mirror, right? Um, our, our whole premise is yeah. on getting the top dollar for anything. Um, our whole premise is building a long-term profitable company, 
And so, you know, our contracting is exposed some to spot, some to contract, almost all of that. The contract has uh, uh, collars, that is floors and ceilings. Uh, we want to benefit, obviously, by uh, a buoyant high price and an increasing price. But at the same time, we've got to be in business. And if we get a six-month correction and there are no buyers in the market, which does happen in this industry on occasion, um, or it certainly has in the past, um, we don't want to be dependent upon that. Uh, we, we don't want to have, uh, we want to establish a steady cash flow, predictable earnings with some margin to take advantage of that uh, excitement in the market. And, uh, you know, will we'll, we'll be the top performer? We'll, we may well be the top performer in terms of the stock price. But, you know, in terms of earnings, there will be periods where people are 100% spot that beat our earnings because they've taken care of 100% exposure to that great rising market. But, you know, that spot market's a double-edged sword at times. And, uh, you know, we, uh, well, it looks like nothing but uh, roses here. You know, we've seen the price fall back 15 bucks on no volume, just like it went up 15 bucks on no volume. Uh, so you try pouring some volume on there and see what happens. Um, you know, right now there's probably buyers out there just below the market to soak it up. But you get two or three guys selling at the same time. It, you know, it, the, the market's not uh, bulletproof. It's, it's going to, you know, when there's too much that comes on it in too short a time frame, the price is going to go down. It may pop right back, and I think it will most of the time. But still, our, our view is, uh, here again, we're, it's almost going back to your question of the transaction is what did they want and, you know, did they do better than you did and all that. We don't really care how well or, or poorly our competitors do. We're, we're far more interested in what our shareholders are, are able to achieve and what they're, even more importantly, able to depend on. And, and that is a bit more of a consistent approach, uh, a balanced approach to the pricing. Yeah, we're well aware of the bull market we're in. I mean, that's why we're in business. Uh, but at the same time, we don't want to uh, you know, put, put all of our eggs in one basket, to use an old euphemism. But uh, you know, a blended approach is the one that we've selected, we've taken, and we think makes a lot of sense. We've got a lot of folks in the industry that are on our staff that have seen the ups, the downs, the sideways, and every other permutation of the market over the years. And so is it without considerable thought that we've uh, developed this strategy and one that we feel will work quite well for us and our shareholders? Right. I, I, I hear you. And I think blended approach is a, is a, is a great phrase to go out on um, for investors. You need a blended approach for your intensive portfolio construction. And uh, perhaps the weighting needs to be on the D risk and not on the high risk. But uh, each to their own. Um, Bill, appreciate your time today. Um, we will speak to you soon. Thanks, Matt. You take care.